0: Luke fifteen. And we're going to start in verse eleven here in a second. Everybody there? Some of you there? Luke fifteen. And verse eleven. It said a certain man had two sons. Everybody say two sons? Everybody say two sons? And the younger of them said to his father, "Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me." So he divided to them his livelihood, and not many days after, the younger man gathered all together, journeyed to a far-off country, Las Vegas, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Verse 14. "But when he had spent all, thou will preach right there. when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Verse 15 Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and sent him to his fields to feed swine. Verse 16 And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one would give him anything. Verse 17 But when he came to himself, He said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish from hunger? Verse 18, I will rise, go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of the hired servants. Verse 20, And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off. Every verse in this passage can preach. So I'm just going to have to read through it. When he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran, and fell on his neck. Everybody say, your neck. And kissed him. Everybody say, kiss him. Okay, don't kiss me. Verse 21, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And verse 21, I mean, 22. Key verse for tonight. Everybody everybody here? Everybody attentive? Everybody ready for the word of God tonight? Notice this. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Don't ask him if he wants it on him. Put it on him. And notice it says, and put a ring on his hand. Say, put a ring on it. And notice it says, and sandals on his feet. In verse 23, and bring the fatted calf here. Everybody say, let's eat some ribs. How many know it is scriptural to be a meat eater? All right, all you vegetarians that are not right. It's scriptural. This is Jesus speaking, and he said it filled, he he fitted, this fitted, (laughs) he killed the fatted calf. Not just a, ba- just a little, you know, scrawny calf, a fatted calf. That means some good ribs and some good meat. He had a barbecue. So it is scriptural to eat meat. And everybody said, rise, kill, and eat in Jesus' name. The, uh, the calf was fitted and it was fatted. You, see, you saw what I was trying to say there. But notice it says, and bring the fatted calf here, kill it, and let us eat and be merry. Verse 24, for this, my son was dead and now is alive and he was lost, but now he's found and they began to be merry. Everybody say, amen. Amen. Let's look over at, uh, second Timothy two. 2 Timothy 2. And verse 1. Y'all there? It says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 2. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. But notice it says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now let's look back over to Luke 15. We're going to park there. Luke 15. So if you're taking notes tonight, the time of my message is a robe, a ring, and some Reeboks. By say a robe, a ring, and some Reeboks. You guys excited to hear the word of God tonight? You glad you're at church? Good. We're going to have a good time. I'm excited to preach this to you. A robe, a ring, and some Reeboks. So we see in Luke 15, let me just give you a little background to Luke 15. Is in Luke 15, the passage is Jesus is speaking to a bunch of Pharisees, a bunch of of religious people in Luke 15. And in Luke 15, he says, or the question is asked to Jesus, why do you hang out with sinners? Why do you hang out with lost people? Why do you hang out with people that the society looks down on, the people that are so-called bad people? Jesus, why do you hang out with lost bad people? So Jesus says, okay, I will explain that to you, but I'm going to tell three stories. So Jesus tells three stories, of course, The most famous story he tells is the one we just read called the story of the prodigal son. Everybody know what I'm talking about, the prodigal son. But he tells three stories there. And the three stories are to reveal the nature of God or to reveal what God is like. Because you realize up to that point, they had a different view of what God was like up to that point. And the people that really uh, made God's people uh, think the way they did about God, it was because they looked up to the religious people of that day, and the religious people of that day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, were mean, they were grumpy, they were hateful, they didn't hang out with lost people, they didn't care about lost people, they they uh, shunned sinners, so-called sinners, they didn't hang out with bad people, and they were a poor example of who God was. So, Jesus comes, who is God, and says, This is who God is really like. I realize these people, they act like they know everything about the Bible, have been telling you all this stuff with the way that God is like, but he is not like that whatsoever. I'm going to tell you three stories that is going to explain to you why God loves sinners, why God loves lost, broken people, because Jesus said, I'm starting to preach, Jesus said he came to seek and save that which was lost. That's why he came. He didn't come for good, stuck-up religious people. He came to seek and save that which was lost. I mean, know there is no such thing as good people and bad people. We are all bad people, lost and sinners without God. There's just some of us that figure it out sooner than the others do. And just because you go to church doesn't mean you don't have issues. <laughs> Hello, somebody. We are all sinners and we, we all are in need of a savior. That's why Jesus came, to seek and save that which was lost. But he tells three stories, and the first story he tells about the lost sheep. Everybody uh, in here has probably heard the story of the lost sheep, and it talks about a shepherd, which is Jesus, goes after the one. He leaves the 99 religious people to go after the one lost person that knows they need help. And that's who Jesus will go after. If you admit you need help, then you're a candidate for Jesus to work in your life. But if you won't admit that you need help, Jesus cannot help you. That's why he couldn't help the Pharisees, Sadducees, religious people of that day. Because they said, I got this. I'm good. Jesus can't help people with a prideful attitude. You got to humble yourself before God to receive grace. Y'all here still. But realize in the first story is the parable of the lost sheep, which reveals the shepherd, which is Jesus. And the second parable is the parable of the lost coin, which the parable of the lost coin talks about a woman or a bride. Nobody's been in church. A woman or a bride looking for a lost coin for her wedding day. And how many know in the word of God, it is said that the church is the woman, is the bride of Christ. And notice what the woman uses to find the coin, a light, which is a uh, type and shadow of the Holy Spirit, because the church cannot function apart from the Holy Spirit, or it is ineffective. And the only way the church, the bride, can find lost people is if they have the light, which is the Holy Spirit, helping them find lost people. You all here? Did I throw that over your head? So realize, in the first parable, it reveals Jesus the Son. The second parable talks about the church and the Holy Ghost. But the third parable talks about the Father. The Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, the Trinity, are all represented in these three stories that Jesus tells. Woo! That was a mouthful. Do y'all get anything so far? But we're going to focus on the last story of these three. And actually, we're going to focus in on the three gifts that he was given. Everybody say three gifts. In Second Timothy two, let's look over there. Second Timothy two. Second Timothy two. It says. Therefore, my son, my son, which is speaking of your child of God, a son, not a servant, not a slave, but a son. And notice it says, you, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Notice, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Realize this. When you receive a great gift, what is your response? Now, the reason I'm using this example is because there was a time in my life I gave away my first guitar. My first guitar was a black guitar. I don't remember the name of the brand, but it was a guitar that had, it was an electric guitar, but it had a speaker built into the guitar, and it was from Toys R Us. It was about a $100 guitar, and Back in the day, I used to go to the projects with Miss Mary and a bunch of Mister Delores, a bunch of people like that to go minister with them. And so I gave my guitar away. My first guitar ever, I gave it away to some random kid in the hood that night. And I felt specifically, even though it was my first guitar, it was my only guitar right then, that I needed to give that kid my guitar. And... Ever since that day to now, I've never lacked in guitar equipment. And that was when I was a little kid. And I've had some very expensive guitars. Uh, I don't have it anymore, one of those guitars, but we're talking two or $3,000 guitars. We're not talking Toys R Us guitars, okay? <laughs> and I've never had a problem getting guitars because I realize it's the principle of seed time and harvest I gave away something many, many years ago, and God has been, I've been reaping the benefits of that, and God has been uh, bringing the harvest of guitars and guitars equipment, even from that little gift so many years ago that seemed insignificant, a little $100 guitar when I was not even that old. But I received, one of the many times, most of the time I bought guitars myself and had favor when I bought them, but there happened to be a time it's been a while back, but, um, he was, uh, I was down there and, and he had several guitars and he was playing guitars, but they weren't even my style of guitar. I would like, so I was thinking, you know, what's he going to give me? Cause he said, I I want to bless you with a guitar and an amp. And I was thinking, okay, you know, I'll receive it. that will be nice. I'll sell it, you know, <laughs> because it's probably not going to be the guitar I want or something I like, but Come to find out, the guitar he gave me was a black Fender Stratocaster, with, and it had special pickups in it, which were the same pickups that Stevie Ray Vaughan used to use, which he was my favorite guitar player of all time, and it had the same exact pickups in it, and he gave me a nice little Fender tube amp, which are not cheap either. And I was thinking, man, this guy is going to give me some lame guitar equipment. I'm going to appreciate it. I'm going to say thank you. But, you know, I'm going to just have to sell it immediately. But I remember when he handed me that guitar and that amp, I was speechless. I was saying, you need this guitar more than I need this guitar. I've been seeing what you've been playing lately. No, I didn't say that. But it was a very nice guitar. And notice it was a, one of the desires of my heart because God knew what to give me. And I remember when I received a gift like that, my response was to say, no, no, I can't take that. I got guitars, you know, let's, let's give it to somebody different, you know. But how many know when you receive a gift that you think is bigger than you, that's usually your response. Or you think it's, you know, it's too much for somebody to give you. You're usually not a good receiver when that happens. And that was uh, one of the prime examples of my life in somebody giving me something that I thought that I wasn't worthy wasn't worthy enough to receive. I could, I could get a cheaper guitar and I feel like that would be a good gift. But that guitar and that amp were so nice that I felt like I'm not worthy enough to receive that gift. And notice I didn't fully receive it and I kind of had an attitude where, you know, I'm going to pay you back. You know, you don't have to give me this. I'll give you some money for it. But how many know that dishonors the gift giver trying to pay them for a gift that they're giving you. I'm saying a thing already, if you follow on what I'm saying. There's another prime example of this. Our pastor, Pastor Michael Jacobs, he had this happen to him. He had given away a lot of cars in his life. He would paid for other people uh, to have cars, missionaries. And uh, I think it was 1996, 97, something like that. Somebody in our church pulled up with a brand new $30,000 white Avalon and parked it underneath the overhang and said, Pastor, this is yours. A brand new Toyota Avalon, $30,000. How many of our pastors even told you before it was one of those gifts he didn't feel worthy to receive? (laughs) And he didn't want to take it. He said, you know, I'll pay you back. And then he, he went in the restroom, he talks about, and he was crying. And he just said, God, I'll sell it and give it to the missionaries. And God said, I didn't get it for you to sell it. I gave it for you to enjoy. Because it's not about what you think you're worthy of. You don't want what you deserve. You want what's being offered. And that's what grace is. It's not what you deserve, but it's what's being offered by Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter. you talking about you worthy. <laughs> you'll never receive anything from God if you're going to live in worthy planet for the rest of your life saying, well, I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. Duh. That's the point. That what makes it grace. That what makes it good news. That's what makes it an amazing gift because you can't earn it. If you could earn it, it would be a wage or your payment. It wouldn't be a gift, would it? But notice his response was, this gift is too big for me. It's too much for me. You know, I'll give it to the poor. I'll give it to the missionaries. I can't take that. He, you know, he probably, he drove that car for a period of time very carefully, almost like it wasn't even his. And he didn't fully receive it for a period of time there. Why? Because he was living in a worthy mindset, but it's not based on his worthiness. It's based on God's goodness. How many know God doesn't bless you because you're good. He blesses you because he's good. Y'all hear. You could write that down. (laughs) God doesn't bless you because you're good. He blesses you because he's good. He's that good. Everything we receive in this life from God is a gift. We can't earn any of it. That's why it's grace. It's unearned, unmerited favor with God. That's why the gospel is called the good news. That's why it's good news. If you had to earn it, it wouldn't be good news, would it? Because <laughs> that means only certain people would even attempt to try to earn that, even though they can't, and the rest of people would just give up. That's not good news. But how you many know that's what a lot of church people preach in the pulpit? And it's not the gospel, because the gospel is good news. And if somebody's teaching you that you gotta be worthy, you gotta earn it, you gotta try harder, you gotta do better to receive from something from God, they are not right in what they're preaching. They're not preaching the gospel, because the gospel is the good news. The gospel is grace. How many know when you receive? I, I saw some of you ahead of time that that had some stinky breath, and you guys pass gum down the row, don't you? Sometimes you and people that don't even. That gum doesn't even belong to them. They will take somebody's gum. How many know you don't respond the same way to gum as you do a brand new thirty thousand Avalon? You don't respond the same way. You don't say, "Oh my gosh, I can't take this. This is too much. This is such an awesome gift." You better. I'm going to repay you for this this gum that you. No, you say you better give me a piece of gum. You know my breath is hot right now. You know you need to give me a piece of gum. If somebody handed you a pin. You wouldn't say, oh, I can't take that. I can't take that. It's too much. I will repay you for that pen. I realize, you know, it, it's such an awesome gift. I can't receive it. No, you don't do that to, to lame gifts like that. You only have that response to gifts that you think are bigger than you or you're not worthy of. And how many know more than a guitar, more than a car, more than somebody giving you a house, grace is the greatest gift that you will ever receive. Grace is the greatest gift that God has given to mankind. And notice, you can't earn it. You can only receive it. That's why a lot of people don't really know how to receive grace because they're still trying to earn it. (laughs) And you can't earn it. You can only receive it. Realize that. You can't achieve grace. You can only receive grace. (laughs) You know, that's why so many Christians are burnt out and frustrated because they're trying to work for something that they already have. It already belongs to you. Why are you trying to work for something that already belongs to you? <laughs> you just got to receive it instead of trying to achieve it. You know, this this uh, this comment went off in my spirit, man. You guys still here or did you guys go home? You guys still here? You enjoying yourself tonight? This comment went off in my spirit earlier. I I heard this from God. He says, stop trying to pay God back on something that you can never pay for. Understand that. Stop trying to pay God back for something that you can't pay for. And that's what I was talking about when that guy gave me the guitar. When that family gave my dad that Avalon, he was saying, I'm not going to pay you back I'm going I'm to do something for you. I'm going I'm to earn this. I'm going to achieve this. I'm going to be worthy enough. But that's not the way grace works. And of all things, you can't pay God back for what he's done for you. <laughs> so stop trying. Because you're going to live frustrated. And realize that dishonors the giver when you try to pay him back for what he gave you freely doesn't it? And there's so many believers that are dishonoring God because they're trying to pay God back for what they can never earn. And that is disrespectful and dishonorable to the God who gave everything for you. You know what makes the person who gave you the gift happy is when you just receive it and enjoy the gift that's been given. Not saying, I'm going to pay you back. I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder. No, when you just receive it and enjoy it and walk in it, that makes the giver of the gift excited. It, makes the, it really honors the giver of the gift. That's the response that it should be. The same way with that family. When dad started really driving that car like it was his, he started enjoying that car. How many know it honored the family? They gave it to him. When I started playing that guitar, when I started enjoying that guitar, instead of saying, you know, I'm going to pay you back for it, I'm going to do something to earn this. No, when I started enjoying it, it honored the giver of that gift, didn't it? It's the same way with God. When you enjoy and receive what's been given, it honors the giver. Stop trying to pay God back on something that you can never pay for. But notice it says, in Second Timothy 2 and 1, Therefore be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Notice, not just receive it, be strong in it. Drive the grace like it's yours because it is. <laughs> Don't act like it's still somebody else's. Receive it and be strong in it. Play the guitar like it's yours because it is. Be strong in the gift that you've been given. And the word of God says that God has given you the keys... To something better than a house or better than a car, he's giving you the keys to the kingdom of God. Oh, Take the keys like they're yours and use them for goodness' sakes, because that's what really honors God. Not you saying, "Oh, you know, I, I, I don't know, I don't got any authority. I'm just a worm. I'm just a sinner." Shut up, for goodness' sakes! You are dishonoring God every time you act like a little worm, like a little sinner, like you're no good. It dishonors the gift that he's given you. Be strong in the grace. You got the keys. Drive it like it's yours. The kingdom is yours. Drive it like it's yours. He's given it to you freely. Grace is yours. Stop trying to achieve it. You can only receive it. Y'all getting anything so far? Let's look at James 4. In verse 6. I'm just getting warmed up now. Realize this. You need to walk around with a godly confidence in what has been given to you. I didn't say be prideful and arrogant and flaunting yourself in front of other people. I said a godly confidence on that you know your authority and you know the, the gift that's been given to you. And you're walking in it. That pleases God. Not his church walk, walking around like they don't deserve anything. They're not worthy. You're never going to change the world living like that. But you should have a godly confidence and be strong in the grace. Be strong in the gift that's been given to you. Be strong in the unmerited favor of God. Be confident in that because you received it and you've been strong now in the grace. But realize... In James 4, verse 6, and I I commented about this earlier about the Pharisees, religious people that day, they didn't receive anything from Jesus because they were prideful and they were arrogant and they acted like they didn't need anything from God. In verse 6, it says, James 4, verse 6, but he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud. Realize that. God resists the proud. You know, religious people that trust in their own works, in their own righteousness, and their own ability to do good, God resists the proud. God says, talk to the hand, because the face ain't listening. Hello, somebody. God resists the proud. That's what the word says. But notice, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace. He gives his unmerited favor. He gives the gift of God. Notice, to those who are humble that receive it. Or in other words, that are humble enough to admit their need for God, and they receive it. Notice that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You've got to humble yourself to receive the grace of God and be strong in it. Because you realize you didn't earn any of it. That's where the humility comes in. Because you realize every good and perfect gift that you have in your life did not come from you. And you did not earn. It's only by the grace and goodness of God you have everything. But that takes humility to say that. Because most people want to say, I earned it. I worked for it. I did something. I realize God, you know, most Christians are not that arrogant and proud. But a lot of people would say, well, you know, it was 50% God. But it was 50% me. You know. I kind of like half, I halfway got there, and you know, it was kind of part me and part God. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. It says God resists the proud, and He gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. There's not, well, God, I halfway worked for it, and you know, you kind of you gave me the rest as a gift. No, it's all God. <laughs> It's all the gift and the grace of God. And all we do is receive it. Now, you're saying, well, you don't, do you have to work now in the kingdom of God? Well, you don't work for stuff. You work from your salvation. You don't work for your salvation. You work from your salvation. Notice when God changes you and you receive it, you're going to start wanting to do something. But you're not doing it to receive anything. You're doing it because you've already received everything. Did you guys understand what I just said there? Let's look back over at Luke 15. Well, you guys are blessing me tonight. Luke 15. You guys get anything so far? Luke 15. And we're going we're gonna to read in a second here about these three gifts. I said we're going to talk about those. We are in a second. But realize this, when you're looking for grace, don't look at a book, a principle, a precept. Grace is not a principle, it's a person. And it's Jesus. And you know, some people in the body of Christ have been trying to say this for years and years. You know, you can't preach too much grace because, you know, people are going to just do whatever they want. They're going to, you know, live in sin. They're going to act crazy and say, it's the grace of God. Get off my back. But realize grace is not a principle, it's a person. It's easy to abuse a principle, but it's a little bit harder to abuse a person. Y'all here still. (laughs) And realize this, if you are using the grace of God as an excuse to sin, then you haven't really met grace yet. Because grace is a person, not a principle, not a precept, not just an idea, not just a thought in the Bible, not just another Greek word that you can talk about with your friends. No, grace is a person. And when you encounter grace, it doesn't make you want to sin more. It makes you want to sin less. That's how you know whether you receive grace or not. And you've you met grace because when you meet grace, your desire for sin is going to go away. Because your desire is going to be for him. I mean, when you meet grace and you meet Jesus and you encounter the goodness of God, everything else pales in comparison to him. The things that used to look so exciting a long time ago are not exciting anymore. Why? Because you really met grace. And nothing will satisfy you apart from him. So grace is a person. Grace is Jesus. Let's look in Luke 15 in verse 14. There's so much you can preach in this, this uh, story here. It's ridiculous. It's like eating a ribeye steak for a preacher. It's just too good. It's like a bacon-wrapped filet, organic-fed beef. And you you got a loaded baked potato. You got just a salad with some blue cheese crumbles on top, some ranch dressing on the side. And then you just eat this glorious. uh, What are those desserts? It's like a brownie and it's got vanilla ice cream on top. (laughs) Being offense, It's called like the Blondie or something. What's that called? Don't all act like you. I'm not talking about a girl. Hello, somebody. You know what I'm talking about? It's like a brownie and they got vanilla ice cream on top, but then they pour like. Kind of syrup on top. But it's not a Sunday exactly. They pour like come on, some of you girls help me. No, not hot fudge Sunday. Close. I think at Applebee's they call it a blondie. But I ain't talking about it a an applebee's. <laughs> Anyways, I had to get off in dessert land for a second. I'm not much on desserts, but that one dessert, if you know what I'm talking about. They pour, they pour, it's not chocolate they pour on top of it. It's like, which, does anybody know? Not hot fudge. It's kind of a caramel slash vanilla slash something else mix. It's just like heaven, heaven, melted heaven that they pour on top of some vanilla ice cream in a nice brownie. It's like heaven got poured out on earth. It's kind of like when you eat it, it's like a day of Pentecost experience that happens in your mouth. <laughs> the wind is blowing. The Shekinah glory shows up. You speak in other tongues. Whether you're a Baptist, Presbyterian, or Catholic, you go speak in tongues after you eat that brownie. So I think it's called a blondie at Applebee's. But I'm thinking upscale other than Applebee's. Applebee's is not the place to eat it. But <laughs> this passage here, like I said, is, is like that to a preacher. But notice in Luke 15 and verse 14, before we read that, understand the prodigal son we read about here, it says that he wanted to go off, do his own thing, like all of us have before in our lives. (laughs) And he thought a life without the father would be a better life than with the father. And that was his first dumb mistake which a lot of people do with their lives. They think a life without God is better than a life with God. (laughs) But they find out very soon that that's not true whatsoever. And he told his dad to give him all his inheritance. So his dad gave him all his inheritance. And in other words, when you did that in that time, in that period of time to your father, it pretty much meant you're dead to me, dad, because... Usually they would receive their inheritance when the father passed away. So he received the inheritance. He went off and said, I'm going to do my own thing. He got a one-way fight to Las Vegas. And he gambled his money. He was with all kinds of crazy women. He was doing all kinds of drugs. Living a prodigal. It said he wastes his possessions with prodigal living or wasteful living. But notice in verse 14. It says, but when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land. And he began to be in want. Okay. Everybody on the planet is going to come to this sometime in their life. The word of God says sin is fun for a season. But when the season runs out, guess what? You're going to be in want. Because you spent it all, you slept with everybody, you did all the drugs you could do, you spent all the money, you had everything you thought would make you happy, and you're still depressed and you still want more. Why? Because none of that stuff will fulfill you. So everybody gets to this place in their lives, some sooner than later. There's some people that are elderly and are still trying to hang on to their stuff when they're not happy. But notice there's a time in your life that you're going to be in want and you're going to be in famine because you have spent all, you have tried everything and nothing will satisfy you. That's because Jesus is the only one who will satisfy you. But notice in verse 17, but when he came to himself, (laughs) touching everyone say to himself. Okay. Okay. When he came to himself, notice he came to his right mind. He said, I will go to my father's house and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Notice what he's thinking. Earn it. Worthy. I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. Just make me a servant. Make me a slave. Because at least the slaves and the servants at dad's house eat better than I do right now. At least I got a place to sleep. And notice he said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of the hired servants. And he arose, he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off. His father saw him, had compassion, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And notice the son says in verse 21, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father didn't listen to his story. And notice in verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. You guys ready to get into something here? So he gave the son three gifts. And a lot of times we can read through the Bible. We've discussed this before, but we can read through the Bible. And since we live in a different culture, we live in a different part of the world. We don't fully understand why they do what they do. And we don't see the significance of it in our modern day. Cause you're thinking a rope. Okay. I bought a rope from target and I wear it in the mornings when I eat breakfast. Okay, a ring, you would only wear a ring usually if you're getting married or something else along those lines. What's the significance of a ring? And he puts sandals on his feet. What is the big deal? You can get 20 pairs of sandals for $20 at Walmart, for goodness sakes. Why is sandals a big deal? Sandals are literally the cheapest shoe around, aren't they? So why is a robe, a ring, and some Reeboks, modern day, Important to this story. It's very important to the story. And I'm going to tell you why. Can we go there? Let's go there. So notice. He said, bring out the best robe. The first thing that was put on him was a robe. And notice it says, don't try this robe on. He didn't ask him. He said, "Put put on the robe. He told his servants, go ahead and put that robe on. Not asking if he wanted it or not, but he says, the best robe. Realize God always wants to give you the best. The best of everything. See, that's a religious mindset that has gotten the church somewhere, that a life apart from God is better in life with God and that God's, you know, he's not, he don't want to give you the best of stuff. He wants to make you suffer. He wants to just put you through stuff constantly. And you're just living through hell and poverty and sickness. And it's supposed to glorify God. No, God wants to give you the best of everything. He's a good God. I mean, no, it's real easy. God is good. The devil is bad. It's that easy. The W's got it right. You are the devil and the devil is bad. Hey, God is good and the devil is bad. Notice every perfect gift comes from God. And notice God wants to give you the best. But the thing about a robe in that culture is a robe was something very significant in men of stature and wealth and that were dignified in the community would wear very nice robes. That's what they wore around. That was the modern day suit. Of that day. Was a robe. And how many know in their culture. If you had a robe on. That you were respected in the community. And how many know if he said it was the best robe. Then it was a very nice extravagant robe. That he had for his son. But his son. Realized when his son came back to the house. His son probably didn't have good clothes on. His son. Was in rags. His son smelled horrible. He smelled like trash. He smelled like pigs. He was hanging out with pigs. Pigs don't smell good. He smelled like pigs. He smelled like trash. He smelled like throw up. He smelled horrible. And he was living in rags for goodness sakes. And the father put the best robe on him. Realize when the father put the robe on him. You couldn't see his rags anymore. Y'all ain't here. You couldn't see his past anymore. You couldn't see what he had been through anymore. You only saw the robe that was on the sun. And notice, when you put the robe on, you didn't even smell his past anymore. You only smelled the robe. And, And, of course, during that day, they had very nice perfumes and very nice colognes, and the robe probably smelled like the father's cologne. How many know you can still smell pastor's cologne when he comes out? It was some nice cologne. And how many know... They could only smell the father's cologne. They could only see the father's robe. And they did not see the rags. They did not see his past. They did not see all the junk he had went through. They only saw the father's robe on him. I mean, no, that's what God does to you when you accept him in your life. He puts the best robe on you. And you can't see your past anymore. You can't see your mistakes anymore. You can't see all that junk that you used to be anymore. All you can see is the father's robe. And you don't even smell like you used to. You smell like the father's house. Because the word of God says love covers. (laughs) And the father loved his son enough to cover him with his own robe. And how many know if he, if he was going to a party, he needed to be dressed nicely? And how many know if the son walked into the party smelling like pigs and in rags, that he would have been very embarrassed in front of that whole party? But his father didn't want him to be embarrassed, didn't want him to feel condemned, didn't want him to be beat down. So he put his own robe on him. The Word of God says that we are, our lives are now hidden in Christ. That means that He doesn't just see us anymore. He sees His Son when He looks at us. Because our life is hidden now in Christ. Our failures, our past, our sin, our guilt is now hidden within the robe of His righteousness. I'm preaching 150 times better than anybody saying a word tonight. Realize in Isaiah, it talks about people in their own righteousness. It says your own righteousness is as filthy rags. That's like the prodigal son. His own righteousness was as filthy rags. But it also says in Isaiah that there would be one that is coming, the son of God, that would put a robe of righteousness on his people. That's what he's talking about right there. You don't see the rags anymore. You see the robe of righteousness your father has put on you. Instead of your rags of unrighteousness. Something else that the robe is about is, you got to understand covenant in that day, when they would do a covenant ceremony, there would be a lot of parts of the ceremony, but one of the main parts was they would exchange robes, exchange garments. So that means that the other person would get your garment, but you would get their garment. Let me know Jesus got the short end of the deal. He got the rags and we got the robe. <laughs> Hello, somebody. <laughs> and when you go into covenant with somebody, you exchange garments because it's a sign of covenant between that person. And when you accept Jesus in your life, you get in covenant with God almighty and he gets your rags, but you get his robe of righteousness. And notice it's a free gift. Just receive it. You don't have to achieve it. Here's another thing that it's a symbol of. How many remember Joseph in the Bible? Joseph had a coat of many colors. And that coat was a symbol of the favor of God. you got to realize, now that you're in Christ, you have the favor of God on your life, and you don't have to earn it. You just have to receive it. It's yours. Why? Because your sin is no longer a part of you anymore. Your past is no longer a part of you anymore because you've received the finished work of Jesus Christ. So now you have the favor of God on your life. And a robe is a sign of favor with the Father. This belongs to you. And realize Joseph got the coat not because of his worth, but because of his birth. It's the same thing with you and the family of God. You don't receive things because of your worth. You receive it because of your birth. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. Why? Because you don't work yourself into this family. You're born into this family. (laughs) It's not by your worth you receive something. It's by your birth. And because you're a child of God, everything he has belongs to you. So Joseph received the coat because of his birth, not his worth. And the word of God says, you're no longer a slave. You're no longer a servant, but you're a child of God. And the favor of God is on you. Why? Because you're his child. You don't got to achieve it. You just got to receive it. So number one, the robe stands for identity. The prodigal son got his identity back with the father's house. Y'all still here? You want some more? All right. So number one, the robe stands for identity. Number two, the ring stands for authority. Now, rings in those days stand for a lot more than they do these days. And we all know Beyonce's favorite, favorite song and most famous song. If you like it, then you should have put a ring on it. And the father put a ring on it. Hello, somebody. The father put a ring on it. He said, put a ring on his finger. Hello, somebody. <laughs> Just a fun fact off my notes here, but there is a <laughs> so you got the robe is your identity, right? The ring is your, okay, Charles, (laughs) let's try that one more time. The robe is your, and number two, the ring is your, stands for your authority. Okay, so if you like it, put a ring on it. But we were in staff meeting the other day. This is off my notes, but I just got to share it. And Miss Donna was trying to arrange a event for the single ladies at church. And she must have said single ladies like 15 different times in the staff meeting. And every time she said it, I just busted out, all the single ladies, all the single ladies. And, okay, nobody else in the staff meeting was laughing, but Jessica was hysterical laughing every time I sang it. But she must have said it like 15, 20 times during the staff meeting. Every every time she said it, nobody was laughing. I was like, all the single ladies, all the single ladies. If you like it, then you should have put a ring on. But nobody got it. Nobody got it other than Jessica. But I just had to share that with you because you'll see it on the church calendar. Look for it. It's like in June. It says all the single ladies event. So be looking out for that. But it was just too good. Every time she said it, I was like, I man, she was setting me up. I couldn't even help it. It was just coming out. This out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, now you know what I work out to at the gym. That's what's on my iPod. That's not Hey, don't act like it's not a good cardio song. I'm just saying, hello, okay. So number one, the robe is for... Where were you on that one? What? The robe is for... <laughs> and number two, the ring is for... Okay. So we realize the ring means more than Beyonce put a ring on it. It means authority. And especially during those times, how many have seen or... You've heard, a lot of you've seen in movies, a lot of times in those older movies portraying this time, you see the king would always have a ring on his finger. And when he, he wanted to decree a thing or uh, he wanted to put something into action, he would stamp his ring. So his ring stood for authority. It stood for whatever the person who has the ring says goes. It means whoever has the ring, that means there, there's an access to resources how many know that especially during those period of times those who had authority would have a ring and they would stamp their ring how many know they didn't have debit cards they didn't have credit cards but the ring was equivalent in that day of a credit card debit card of somebody's checking account because how many know when he went down to the market you didn't have a debit card to hand them you stamped your ring if you wanted some food you stamped your ring if you wanted If you wanted some clothes, you stamped your ring. If you wanted something to fix up your house, you stamped your ring. And realize that stood for access to resources. And they would know whether they were good for it or not based on the type of ring. And how many know, this man in this story was a wealthy man. So this son could have took that ring anywhere he wanted in the community and stamped it. And they say, okay, you're good for it because we know your daddy. And that meant access to resources. How many know, if my son... I gave him all his inheritance, and he wasted it. And I'm still alive. I'm not going to hand him my debit card. I'm not going to hand him my credit card and my checkbook after that. But realize, God is better than I am. And this is not good English, but he's gooder than I am. And he's gooder than your parents are. Because he's that good. The son just wasted all his money, and he's given him authority over all his resources again. So when you get in the kingdom of God, you get your authority restored. Not just your identity in God's house, you get your authority restored. That means everything God has is yours. Why? Because he is your father, and you are his child. And how many know, everything your parents has is yours. Because you're a part of the family. And you get it because of your birth, not your worth. And when you have... The ring of authority on your finger—it is access to resources. And a, notice, access to resources that weren't yours before you received the ring. <laughs> Here's an example of this. You guys get anything so far tonight? It's good to have you three on the front row. Oh, I just want to say that. I was recently in Nashville, aka Cashville. Come on, Maya. In the 615. <laughs> so, man, I wish I would have saw my dude from Mount Calvary. You know what I'm saying? Cashville. What do we call him? Didn't we have another name for him too? He had his hat to the young money, whatever his name was. He was cool. Yeah. old Wiz Khalifa looking dude <laughs> with his hat backwards. Um, I was recently in Nashville, as you guys know, and we stayed at the Lowe's Vanderbilt. Okay, the Lowe's Vanderbilt ain't the hol- Holiday Inn, it ain't the Hotel 6, it ain't anything along those lines. It ain't like the honeymoon suite that's down in the shady part of town. It's a nice hotel. Everybody say favor. Okay. So we stayed at the Lowe's Vanderbilt. Realize, I stayed at the Lowe's Vanderbilt, <laughs> not because of me, <laughs> but because who my daddy was. <laughs> favor. Favor ain't fair. Because of his, notice, because of his delegated authority he's given, given to me, I receive what he's got. How many know my dad, my natural father, has limited resources, but how many know our heavenly father has unlimited resources? And he's just not my daddy, he's all of your daddies. Unlimited resources. But this one day, I was going to get Starbucks for the fam, So let me just say I was looking fresh in Nashville. I'm just going to say it right there. Andy knows what I talk about. It's not not every day, but you wake up is one of those days when you say, I don't look good every day, but today. (laughs) Don't act like you've never been there before. (laughs) That was the best laugh I've ever heard in my entire life. You know what I'm saying? It's not every one of those days, and I've been telling the boys recently. I was like, "It's been a long time since I've had one of those days," but recently I've been having more of them for some reason. I think it's because summer's coming; sunlight is hitting my skin, and I stopped looking like I'm in twilight. For goodness' sakes! So, um, I went down to. <laughs> I went down to the river to pray. Where y'all at? Where y'all at? Don't act like you didn't just sing that. So I go down to the Lowe's Vanderbilt. Of course, Lowe's Vanderbilt. Whole nother level. Lowe's Vanderbilt has valet service. Jesus. So Dad had driven his black BMW down there. Of course, he realized at the Lowe's Vanderbilt there's all kinds of movie stars and country stars that stay there all the time. So they're used to celebrities and used to people that think they big. You still almost know what I'm talking about. People that got big money and think they big. So, I go down there and I'm looking good. I just gotta say I'm looking good. I have a nice suit on, nice tie. Uh, I got brand new Johnson Murphy shoes with colored laces. Whole another level. And I go down there and realize... I'm walking in my father's favor, not my own favor, not by worth, by birth. So dad calls down there to valet the car so I can go get Starbucks for the whole family. So like I said, I'm decked out. I'm looking good. I'm walking. You know, I got, I got the step to me. You know what I'm saying? Not that hood step, but like, like a business professional step, CEO step. And so my, you got that. I'm sorry. My hood comes out every once while. I just gotta let it out, my inner caramelness. So, <laughs> no caramel. Y'all didn't know I was mixed, did you? No. Hey, well, a- as you as you've heard what I've said, my carnal self is becoming that a little bit too. My caramel self. Okay. Y'all still here? <laughs> Come on. Sookie, is that not the truth? Come on. So, my inner carnal self. Not my carnal self. Even though I was looking at myself a lot. So, there's a little carnality on there, too. A little flesh. But... (laughs) So, I go down there. And, like I said, dad, Dad Valet's the car. So, it's a BMW. Black BMW. Just sparkling. I mean, that's an expensive car. So, they're thinking it's a celebrity And, of course, you know, dad's always, you know, when he goes places, his name is under Dr. Jacobs. You know, because all his credit cards, everything says Dr. Jacobs. So I go down there, and those valet guys are on me like white on rice. And they just surround me, and they're saying, Dr. Jacobs, we are so glad that you are at the Lowe's Vanderbilt. We are so happy that you're here. Can we do anything for you? You know, uh, we have the concierge service right here. We can call for a restaurant or for some coffee or some amenities. Would you like your shoes shined? Would you like an eyebrow wax? Anything we have for you is here. And notice, because who my daddy was. Authority. And I didn't tell him what my name was, but <laughs> he said, Dr. Jacobs. And I said, yo, recevo. I received that. But they thought I was Dr. Jacobs because he's the one who called down. And he said, well, Dr. Jacobs needs his car valeted. And so they valeted the car and they were opening the door for me, just making sure everything was right. And I drove off in that BMW with my face shining and went down to Starbucks and enjoyed my redemption. But notice I received because of who my daddy was. Because the authority that I have because of who my father is. How much more your heavenly father (laughs) who everything belongs to him. He's got unlimited resources. How much more when you are in his family, you have the ring of authority on your finger whether you realize it or not. And everything he has is yours. And of course I didn't tell them that my name wasn't Dr. Jacobs. I just rolled with it. Why? Because I'm, His son. (laughs) And everything he has. Belongs to me. Isn't that right? (laughs) And I drove that BMW. Like it was mine too. So realize. The ring stands for. Wow. (laughs) Strength and honor. (laughs) That too. It stands for authority. Now. Now. We're going we're gonna to go to the last one, the Reeboks, in a second. But before we do, I want to share something else about the ring. Now, you need to realize, like I said earlier, the ring of authority is not just on my finger. It's not just on Dr. Jacobs' finger. It's not just on Dr. Dufresne and Pastor Nancy's finger. You all have the same authority I have. The same authority Pastor Jacobs has. And you got to realize, if we want to be effective as a church in reaching people, you need to stop kissing the ring on our finger and go use the authority that's on your finger, for goodness sakes. Instead of everybody saying, you know, wait to come to my church. You know, you go hear good word. Why don't you preach to somebody? You got a ring on your finger too. Hello? And you got authority. Instead of saying, you know, you can come to my church and be healed. Why don't you pray for them? You have the same ring of authority on your finger that pastor does. Why say, you know, I got a way to get you saved. I got a way to get you filled with the Holy Ghost. I got a way. You should come to my church. Yeah, it's good that they come to the church and they get fed. But you have the same authority... That pastor has. You have the same authority that everyone else in the body of Christ and the family of God has. Stop kissing up to somebody else and the ring on their finger when you have the same authority on your finger. And how me know that's the only way our church will be effective. Instead of just all of us, we're focusing on one person. And if pastor doesn't do it, it's not going to get done. <laughs> You've got authority. Use it. You've got a ring on your finger that God has placed there. Use it. And part of uh, the job of the preacher and the teacher is to remind you of the authority you have. That's why I preach so strong on Thursday nights, to remind you of the authority you have. Stop waiting on everybody else to do something, and you do something, because you have authority. Stop waiting on pastor to do something. Stop waiting on me to do something. You have authority to change people's lives and to change the world around you. You have it. Stop saying, oh, the pastor needs to take care of this. Somebody needs deliverance. I'll bring you to church next week. You pray deliverance. You have the same authority. <laughs> you have the same authority. Realize Jesus said before he left and sent the Holy Spirit, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Therefore, go. Why did he say that? To remind all of his followers and his sons and daughters, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go. Meaning, I have all authority and I'm giving you all authority because you're a part of my family. Therefore, go into all the world, notice, and preach the gospel. Or go into all the world and change it. But why? Because you have authority to do so. Y'all still here? Let's look over to Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. What happened? Indeed, it's good to have you, Curtis, tonight. I missed you. I missed that spooky laugh that you do too. <laughs> There it is. There it is. You guys good? You enjoying yourself tonight? But you too. You guys been doing pretty good. I've heard a couple comments under your breath, but you guys still been doing pretty good. I love you too. <laughs> Notice Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says, this is, a, this is a refrigerator scripture. I realize that, but it's still good. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and to give you a hope. Notice that. I know the thoughts or the plans I have for you. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, the robe stands for identity. The ring Stands for authority. But last gift, we're going to cover this real briefly. The sandals or the Reeboks stand for destiny. (laughs) We can go home on that. (laughs) The Reeboks stand for destiny. Who wants to say it? Who, who wants to sing the old Richie Ray song? That's it. Okay, hold on. That's hold it. on. I have a destiny on that city on a hill. <laughs> wow. Let's give it up for Katie, Princess of the Quarry. So, lastly, the Reeboks or the sandals, the flip flops, stand for destiny. Now, let me explain to you what that means. You're saying, I don't see the significance of a pair of shoes. If my father gave me a pair of shoes, I'd be appreciative, but I wouldn't freak out that my father gave me shoes. Now, if he gave me some of his high-end shoes, I'd be really appreciative. Or if he gave me some, some Jordans, you know what I'm saying, some $250 Air Jordans, I'd be appreciative. But how you know if he just gave me a pair of sandals, I'd be like, thanks, Dad. Um, used usually do pretty good on gifts, but I don't know what happened here. Uh, sandals. Of course, you know I don't wear sandals anyways, but if I did, I'd wear socks with sandals because that's next level. How many are going to get amen? So realize when he gave him sandals or Reeboks, it stood for destiny. Now, you need to understand in that culture, once again, that's why... It's so important, let me stress this again. It is so important that you study your Bible. It's so important that you buy a study Bible and get into uh, commentaries in, in Bible dictionaries so you understand the context when Jesus is speaking. Because how many know if you just read it straight through, you will miss things that if you knew the culture would stand out to you. But you've got to realize in that culture, The only people that had shoes in the house was family. And if you were a servant, if you were a slave to that house, you didn't have shoes. And how many know that father was a very wealthy man, so he had a lot of servants. And remember when he came back to his father, he said, make me like one of your hired servants. Because I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Worthy, worthy, worthy. No, notice He's a son by birth, not by worth. And realize he's not going to not give him a pair of shoes and treat him like a servant when he's a son. Realize that when you got into the family of God, you got your shoes back. You got your destiny back. It doesn't matter what happened before you got saved Now that you've come into the kingdom of God and given your life to him, you have gotten your destiny back. It doesn't matter what people have spoken over your lives. You say, well, I just did too many bad things in the past. I made too many mistakes. I can't be what God has called me to be. I can't do my destiny anymore. I can't fulfill my purpose. God knows all these bad things about me. You got your destiny back. You got your purpose back. Because you got back in the family of God because you're a son. In a daughter by birth, not by worth. But realize that only people in the family has shoes in the house. It's significant that he placed Reeboks on his feet. Because that means you're a son. You're a daughter. That means you have authority. That means you have identity in this house. And that means you have been restored to your destiny. Realize, when you come back to the father's house, he gives you your destiny back. Realize, because him doing his own thing, that wasn't his destiny. Him ruining, ruining his life was not his destiny, was not his purpose. But notice, when you come back to God's house, you come back to the Father, you get your destiny back. And realize in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans or the destiny I have for you. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and to give you hope. You got a future, young people. Never settle and never let the devil tell you, I don't got a future, I've ruined my life, I've done too many things, I've slept around too much, I did too many drugs, I did too many bad things, I can't get my destiny right, I can't be like so and so. No, you got your destiny right. You got your authority back. You got your identity back now that you're in Christ Jesus. Don't let the devil lie to you that you don't have a future, you don't have a hope. You know, one of the main things for young people to deal with is depression. And suicidal thoughts. And what does depression and suicidal thoughts come from? No hope, no future. And God says you have hope and you have a future. Now that you're in him, now that you're back in his family, now that you're at the father's house, you have a hope and you have future. Notice, you have hope, which means that your future is going to be better than anything in your past. (laughs) Never settle and let the devil tell you that this is as good as it's going to get. Well, God, I've experienced everything. You know, I'm 20 years old. I've experienced everything you have for me. It's just downhill from here. I'm over the hill now. You know, it's just tough sledding from now. You know, my my greatest years are behind me. My teenage years, just a lot of no funness to look forward to and maturity for the rest of my life. Don't let the devil sell you that junk. I don't care how old you get. Don't ever let the devil tell you that your best years are behind you. No, your best years are ahead of you. The best is always yet to come. You always have a hope and you always have a future when you're in God. And the best is always yet to come. Don't matter how old you get. You could be 80 years old and say, you know, I don't see how it could get better. It can get better. <laughs> I don't see if I have a future. No, it can. you have a future and you have a hope. I love that. That's one of the main things that Dr. Summer would always say about his life. And he would be up in his 80s and he would say, anything I've done for for God up to this point is going to pale in comparison to what I'm going to do for him in the future. This man was 85 years old saying that. That the best was yet to come. That he still had greater things to do with his life. And he was 85 years old and did amazing things. Why do you think he did? Because he kept that attitude his whole life. And he realized that he has a destiny in God. The word of God says the steps of a righteous person is ordered by the Lord. Your destiny, now that you're in the family of God, that you're restored to the Father's house, is ordered by the Lord. Notice the steps of a righteous person, which we realize we receive righteousness, we can't achieve righteousness. It's ordered by the Lord, or God lays out your life ahead of you and orders your steps so you can fulfill your destiny. So realize the robe stands for identity, the ring stands for authority, the Reeboks, the sandals, they stand for your destiny. And as I close here, I just want to say there's too many, I wrote this down earlier, you go think it's funny, but it's true. There's too many barefoot believers in the house of God. Coming up here acting like, you know, the best thing I've ever experienced is in the past. There's no more to reach for. You know, I've seen Church on the Rock. Man, Church on the Rock used to be with it, but it's lame now. I'm just, I'm just at church doing my thing. <laughs> I used to receive from God. I used to be on fire for God. <laughs> okay, barefoot believer, put your shoes back on for goodness sakes. Because when you're in God, you have a destiny. You have a future. You have a hope. Stop being barefoot when the shoes that he's provided for are yours. Put them on. Lace them up nice and rock those shoes. Rock those Reeboks like they're yours because they are. In the same way, I said, play that guitar like it's yours because it is. Drive that car like it's yours because it is. Wear those Reeboks like they're yours. Tie them up nice. Change your laces if you need to. Rock those Reeboks in style. Why? Because they're yours. And notice when you decide that you're going to take the identity from God, the authority from God, the destiny of God. Notice that pleases and that honors the giver of those gifts. How many know that honored the father when the prodigal son received the robe, received the ring, and received the sandals on his feet? That honored the father, that he received those things. Do you guys get anything tonight? Will y'all bless me? (laughs) So a robe a ring, and some Reeboks. <laughs> Wiser. <laughs> Y'all like that picture I, I did too? No, it says Reebok rain check. That's some old school Reeboks right there. Some Reebok rain checks. A robe, a ring, and Reeboks. Well, you guys bless me tonight. You're good responders. I, I appreciate that. Well, let me pray for you, and we'll close tonight.